Welcome to episode 22 of Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness in action. I'm your host, Emily Luttrell, and this is part two of our conversation about hell with our friend and partner, Scott Clout, pastor at Zootown Church in Missoula, Montana. In this episode, we talk a little bit about the logic around these different views of hell, and we also talk about the implications they have on our lives as individuals, as Christians, and as people who work in and are interested in international missions. In part one, we look at what scripture actually says about the afterlife and then scriptural evidence for and against three main views of hell. We also define some terms that we use throughout the rest of the conversation. So make sure you're all caught up with our episodes before jumping into this one. At the point in the conversation where we'll be joining us, we've just asked the question whether or not Christian universalism can or should or shouldn't be considered heresy. So we are really just not wasting any time jumping into it. The one thing I just want people to know who are listening to this, I don't care if you believe in hopeful universalism. You should, because early church fathers thought you were the heretic. (laughs) (laughs) But to call this heresy is just completely ignorant of the history of the church. It's just completely ignorant of it that, I mean, most, most, it was the, it was the majority view for 500 years, the majority view. Um, Augustine was a universalist, Augustine, and then he switched, but the last 20 years of Augustine's life weren't that great. Like he kind (laughs) of went off the rails. I mean, like, so I actually think because he denied universalism as a, as a thing, it actually led him into a deeper religion. So he started making up pre double predestination. And I mean, Mm -hmm. it it just, it ended poorly for him. And so I guess that's my biggest thing is to call this heresy and, and just try to kill people who believe in this, who actually believe God's that good. That says more about you than it does about the universalist, because you don't actually believe the cross accomplished what it said it did. You don't actually believe that the resurrection accomplished what it said it did. You don't. And so Augustine, Augustine said this, there are very many in our day who, though not denying the Holy Scriptures, do not believe in endless torments. He just said, in our day, they're, most of the people, they're not denying the Scriptures, which is what he's saying is, I see it there too. Mm-hmm. And he goes, they believe that, that they won't be tormented forever and ever. So that means... Eternal conscious torment was the minority view. It was the minority view. Fast forward during that same time, Gregory of Nyssa. Gregory of Nyssa was a Cappadocian father. And here's why this is important. John Mark, the author of the book of Mark, started the church in Alexandria. Started. His bones are still buried there, supposedly. (laughs) It's like one of the oldest churches in the world. John Mark was trained under Peter, Barnabas, and Paul. That's who he was trained under. I'd say he has a pretty well-rounded theological viewpoint, okay? (laughs) He goes to Alexandria, starts the church. They start the school of Alexandria, which is one of the most prestigious schools in the world at that time. That's where Origen, Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory of Nazianzen, St. Basil the Great, all these guys came out of that school that was started by John Mark. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So that should say something. Gregory of Nyssa, then at the fifth, I believe, the fifth ecumenical council, 
The Romans, uh, I'm not so sure Constantine was a Christian. I'm not so sure. <laughs> he sure didn't help Christianity. Here's my point. They all do it. Joe Biden does it. You know, like he, he, he quoted Isaiah after they bombed Afghanistan. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah. So we're all being played. And that's why I'm not a Trump hater either. Because I'm like, everyone just needs to look how these people use Christianity to benefit their political power. It's been going on for 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. So the Romans got tired of all these Christians not joining the army because they were all pacifists. Every single one of them was pacifists. And so they mingled the church and the state, and they pretty much then, um, Emperor Justinian in 700 AD put on a council. He was a total pagan. The Pope didn't even show up to the council because he, he knew what was going on. They went and uh, captured the Pope and made him come. <laughs> this is historical history. In that ecumenical council, they and I'm, I'll, there's a larger point here, I promise. This is important to know because if, you're, if they're going to call this heresy, they need to know the history of this. Uh, at the ecumenical council, they, they branded Origen as a heretic, but they really didn't. Origen's a well-known universalist. And they, what they found is there was many people who f started writing in the name of Origen to try to get people to like not like him. So they called them Origenisms. That's what they <laughs> called them, which is a hard word to say. <laughs> but they, they branded one, one section of universalism as heresy, like one section of it, meaning the devil and the angels were going to be redeemed. In as we sit here, there are monks around the world praying for the devil to be converted to Jesus Christ hmm. because they believed in the restoration of all things. Hmm. Right after that, they had another council where they totally denounced Emperor Justinian and everything that went down on that council because they said that wasn't true. However, at that council, either that one or the fifth council, Gregory of Nyssa was called the father of fathers. He is the father of fathers, they said, and he was an ardent universalist. This was not heresy. This was never considered heresy. They never, you know, branded people this until the Roman government got involved with the church. So here's a quote from Gregory of Nyssa. First off, St. Basil the Great. They're all in the same era. I got this book here with all the quotes, all the universalist quotes. <laughs> Gregory of Nyssa said this in like 380. For it is evident that God will in truth be all in all when there shall be no evil in existence, when every created being is at harmony with itself, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, when every creature shall have been made one body. Clement of Alexandria, we can set no limits to the agency of the Redeemer to redeem, to rescue, to discipline in his work. So will he continue to operate after this life. Like there's thousands of these quotes mm -hmm. and that's, that's incredibly important because in Philippians then Paul says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That comes from Isaiah. The word in Greek is they will joyfully confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Our English translations uh, left that out. Why would they leave that out? Mm. Why would they? That's what the Greek word is. You can go look it up. They will joyfully confess. If you are burning in hell, why would you have joy? <laughs> why would you have joy? That mm -hmm. makes no sense to me. And so, again, it's, it's, it's totally preposterous, preposterous to say this is heresy. You can say you don't agree with it. 
But to say this is heresy, you are literally throwing out 700 years of tradition in this. So what do you, what do you think it threatens? Like whenever, whenever anybody is presented with an alternative view on anything, um, one of the reasons why we might disagree with that view, but especially when there's a lot of emotion mm-hmm. behind that Anger. disagreement. Right. <laughs> what, what do you think it threatens? Being on the winning team. Okay. Is there, is there any sort of what the, what would be described as like a theological thing that is threatened though? Does that make sense? Like if person X believes in hopeful mm-hmm. universalism, mm-hmm. like there's a difference between, well, I disagree because, you know, here, here's the logic or the rationale. But like, if there's this, I'm now putting you in this category of heretic. What is that threatening theologically? Control. In, the, in their minds, in their minds. Being on the winning team and control. Um, yeah, I've, I've processed this a lot because I've been on both sides too. I read Rob Bell's book to prove it wrong. Does it, does it like, does it threaten? I mean, we, I've already asked the question about the centrality of the, of the cross. D- does the person who puts this hopeful universalism in the category of heresy, are they, do they feel like it threatens Jesus? Does it, does it threaten the cross? Does it threaten, um, I think it can threaten people's sense of justice. Okay. Um, because yeah. you hear that God is just, that God hates evil. And so, well, if that's the case, how can he then love somebody who is evil? Mm-hmm. Even people who aren't Christians, you know, see stuff on the news and there are people who are like, well, they, they deserve to burn in hell. And so there's this sense of like evil gets paid out. And if you say, well, that maybe, maybe not, <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. God's grace is bigger than that, or maybe there's a way for redemption. I think that is um, scary for people to, you know, struggling with this idea of, well, can God be good then? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, I think a lot of people think of the idea of hell and say, well, God isn't good if hell exists. And then there are people who think hell has to exist or else God isn't good mm-hmm. because how can he be good if you love somebody who is evil? Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> the issue with that is that's still not justice. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting to the logical side of things, okay? That's not justice. I, I have a finite amount of sin on this planet. I can only sin so much. I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get those numbers up. Yeah. If you are going to eternally suffer for those sins, that's not justice because you're being paid, you're being paid something that, you, that runs out. Mm-hmm. Like my debt's only so big, Okay. Wouldn't the, so, wouldn't the eternal conscious torment camp say, though, that it's reflective not of your finite sin, but of the infiniteness of God? Yeah, but if Jesus, they, th- that same crowd will say, Jesus took our punishment, right? Yep. Well, if he took our punishment, he should be in hell forever. Because that's what they say the punishment is. So that doesn't line up either with me. And again, it still is the character of God. What would be the point? 
<laughs> what would the God who needs nothing, literally needs nothing. Paul said that, you know, but we live and move and have our bre- you know, being and all that. The God who needs nothing somehow needs to take his wrath out on something he created in which penal substitution says Jesus took his wrath, but I guess he has this side thing of wrath that he's just waiting to dump <laughs> on people. Wrath reserves, yeah. Yeah, and so wrath, wrath is giving one over to their desire. That's what it means. Romans 1, so he gave them over to what they desired. So yes, people yeah. who are in Hades, or, and again, by the way, the early church did not believe heaven and hell are two different places. It's all one place, the kingdom of God. And there are those who are rejecting it, and there's those who are accepting it. It's all one place, though. Again, if that's true or not, I don't know, but that's how they viewed it. Um, and so I, don't, I just don't see that that logically makes sense, that God would create something knowing that it's going to be tortured forever. Like, that just doesn't seem like justice to me. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem like justice. Now, again, I totally get discipline. I totally get punishment. I get all those things, but it really just comes down to the character of God then, is, is God. Um, okay, so eternal conscious torment, I'll just, I've thought of this one before. If that's true, we have to admit that we live in the greatest horror story of all time. Hmm. That there's this one big house called the cosmos, and there's all these good people who have, not even good, who have accepted the invitation to the, the party, and um, they're upstairs partying. But then there's this basement, and that basement's on fire. And all the people are upstairs throwing a party, knowing that it's on fire downstairs. And the one who claims to hold the keys to the door can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. That logically just does not make sense to me. Now, if, we, if I stand before him and he explains it all, and it, then f- that's fine. Okay, whatever, you know. But that just doesn't make sense to me. I think that is one of the things that appeals to me both about annihilation, the annihilationist view and the hopeful universalist view is that though in different ways, they both do logically, um, the, the, the supreme like rule of God and, and, and sort of end of evil and sin, like it's done. You know, like there's not like, like your, your example, there's not like another floor of the building that he's, well, I don't, I, I can't do anything with that or, oh, or that powerless yeah. over that area or, um, so yeah, I think that that is an interesting, uh, yeah. side note, I, <clears throat> you referenced this just briefly. And so I thought I would, um, just put a name to it that that view, I had not been exposed to this either. It's, it's actually the Eastern Orthodox view of hell, which is that idea that, um, heaven and hell, there is no difference, um, in terms of like place, quote unquote, but it's more about the experience. In other words, everybody is in the presence of God, but how we experience him is the difference. Uh, so just to, to some people that feels like hell. Right. And so I don't believe in hell because it's not a real word. It's Hades. It's the new kingdom. It's this place where everyone goes. And that's, I believe hell is now and it's inside. Okay. So you, you are the temple of the living God, right? Mm-hmm. You have the high priest living in you. So there's definitely spiritual language to all of this. James says you can draw out hell with your own tongue. 
your own tongue can bring out hell. Every time I am short with my family, every time I am, um, um, I say something to wound, that is hell. That's hell. <laughs> That's hell. Um, and I think, so again, yes, I believe in the second resurrection. And those who, those who are presented the good news of Jesus, and it, there's still so many logical problems with that, because what if, what if it wasn't presented right? <laughs> <laughs> right. What if that wasn't presented right? I mean, right? And then you mm-hmm. asked earlier, why even if someone who hasn't heard, they, they get special grace? Why do we want to tell them? Mm-hmm. Why would we want to tell them then, right? So that's, there's a lot of logic that goes into that. And we'll talk about the kingdom of God here. But so... Yes, there's a fearful expectation of those who've rejected Christ. And when you stand before him on your judgment and he flat out lays your life, what you were about, all kinds of things, your heart, your intentions, how, you know, I mean, all the wounds that's been caused, everything, you bet there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like you bet there's a regret and a remorse for, I'm going to have that though. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have that. And so I think we, we take this and we make it into this like, you know, he draws everyone out of hell and then he judges them. He makes them bow because it says every knee will bow. And then he throws them back into hell for his own ego or sense of justice. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't see that. And, and first Corinthians 15 is what the early church used, not revelation. They use first Corinthians 15 as their end times theology. Um, I don't have a Bible, best pastor ever, but <laughs> Paul is, go read it, 1522. Paul's walking through what the end of time looks like. And it basically says, you know, he will turn the kingdom over to the father. um, And then he will have all his enemies. All his enemies will be under his feet. He doesn't make a distinction here. Have you ever noticed that in that passage? He never says, well, you guys are over here. He says all of his enemies, because we were all enemies of God, all of us. And he will sit, he sits on his throne. The interesting thing is, what seat does he sit on, guys? The mercy seat. Hmm. He sits on the mercy seat, which is what the Ark of the Covenant was all about. You have the mercy seat right on top of it, and they would come and they would do these sacrifices and stuff, but they still were left to the mercy of God. That's what that was. And so... That's why annihilationism makes sense in a way. That is a sense of mercy to me a little bit, like you just Mm -hmm. don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just can't imagine that every knee bows, every tongue confesses Jesus is Lord, and then he doesn't receive them. I just, Mm. that's that's why, and again, that's in the next age. So I don't know how long that goes. I really don't know how, but it to me personally, it doesn't bug me, even if everyone does just walk in. Mm -hmm. Because... Can you imagine like you have, if, if you are this God hater, atheist your whole life, and then he still redeems you, Jesus looked right at the Pharisees and said, those who are forgiven much love much. So who's going to be the best lovers in heaven? The ones who are like, what? Like there's so much, there's so much theology in those stories with Jesus that he was pointing people forward to this. Like, but the kingdom is now. So we I want to get sin out of my life now, not because I'm afraid of getting burned or because of my judgment, because I'm afraid of hurting my kids. I do not want my kids to carry on certain characteristics that I have. I do not want my kids to make the same mistakes that I have. I want to get that crap out of my life now for other people. Secondly, for myself, because I can feel hell here. I can feel Mm -hmm. it. And I don't want that here. So he, he, everyone's salted with fire, but salt is good. And 
I, he said, and he goes, remain salty, <laughs> remain <laughs> salty, you know, mm -hmm. like, so there's this constant tension of him burning this stuff out of our life. And, you know, and I just, that's how I think just logically universalism, ultimate reconciliation logically makes the most sense in the sense that God's not short on time, mm -hmm. you know, like he's not <laughs> short on time. So who are we? And even Martin Luther confessed at the end of his life, who am I to put limits on God's grace, even in the afterlife, you know? So I don't think it, I, I think more damage has been done by trying to convince people that, um, you know, Jesus is like, I have an offer for you. Love me or I'm going to burn you. That's a weird offer. Uh -huh. I created this place. I'm, I'm totally good and loving, but I created this place that you're going to go. So you either love me or I'm going to burn you forever. Mm -hmm. James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, and even some of those, these are the hint verses, man. Like uh, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Mm -hmm. If you believe in eternal conscious torment, you believe sin wins. You just do. You believe that sin and death will win in the end against God. And he just couldn't do anything about it. Well, Paul said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So it just kind of keeps going out into eternity. And I, yeah, so I, I just think it's logically, one, it's not heresy. It's, I, it's just not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, I believe Jesus Christ is the Savior of all mankind. I'm not denying Christ's divinity. I am not denying Christ's power. In fact, we're giving him more power mm -hmm. because he actually is going to finish the job. Mm -hmm. However, he will not coerce anybody in love. How long that takes, I don't know. Or he's going to annihilate them or they're just going to fall into non-being or whatever that is. But mm -hmm. I just view Jesus like when he says, I am going to redeem all things. I think all things means all things. I mean, mm -hmm. it either does or it doesn't. What is it? What is all things then? Yeah. <laughs> like, and I, and I what, think that what that, is that? That is a, I mean, it's, it's cool to hear it articulated that way. And it, it's, this reality that regardless of where you land on these, these different views of hell, like that is, it's, it is the person of Jesus Christ is what, is what it's all about ultimately. And, and so I think that is an important thing for us to remember for those who are going down this conversation or even open to this conversation is at least as in my limited understanding, like none of these views minimize the person of Jesus. No. And, and, and his role in salvation. Like, um, we might have disagreements on some of the logic or some of the scriptural, you know, interpretation or thing like that, but I don't hear anything in any of them that minimize or reduce Jesus. Um, and which one and, makes and, him greater? Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so again, for, for the, for people to continually say like, this is diminishing the cross, like you said, or whatever. Right. I'm like, no, I, I think it makes him look that much greater. And I, I want people to live for Christ now. I, right. cause, and this is, you know, the old saying before you give them the good news, you got to give them the bad news. Well, I, I do think I don't ever see the gospel presented that way. I, I do it, think, I mean, there's, there is this whole other conversation we keep alluding to about, you know, people that have never heard the gospel, how are they saved and what's the motivation for missions then and all that sort of stuff. And, um, to your point, Scott, I do think that it's so often we're missing the whole point of quote unquote missions when we reduce it to, we got to get people out of hell and just 
like Jesus, so much of Jesus' language was about, I want you to live the abundant life now. That like, that's my motivation for missions and for Uncharted is I, I don't know a lot about the afterlife. <laughs> I don't know a lot about, you know, is it, is it eternal conscious torment? Is it annihilationism? Is it the Eastern Orthodox? Is it hopefully universal? I, I have some ideas. I have some thoughts. I, you know, I, I softly land, but there's a lot that I don't know, but that's actually not, I would say like my primary motive for why we do what we do at Uncharted, that so much of the language and invitation of Jesus is that call to abundant life now, is that call to restoration now, to peace now. And it doesn't matter what your view on hell is then, <laughs> honestly, if if you're not motivated by primarily, or or I should maybe say exclusively by that. Um so well you throw out like the crusades and there's been many awful awful things done in the name of jesus okay but there's also this other side of the coin where because it never gets highlighted everywhere christianity has gone it's prospered that place yeah and then when the government and christianity get involved together it ruins that place it just it's it's just history human history um so yes, Christians always go off the rails, <laughs> you know, and, and they get really territorial and all that stuff. But that's why we share the gospel now is people need to know who they are to God right now. Yeah. And you go to Myanmar and, you know, other places because you have seen the fruit of people believing in Jesus here and how that changes their life here. Right. And that's how the kingdom of God advances. Right. I mean, the, we keep waiting for like this other kingdom to happen, like this thing to come in. And I think it's because we actually don't want to live the kingdom life. Like um, we that's why we gravitate so much towards the end times is it'd be a lot easier if he just came and burned this place and set up a new kingdom. And what you're really saying is this whole grace thing just just not going to work. This whole love and turn the other cheek grace thing just will not work, even though it's proven to work for 700 years before Rome took over the church. It was pr it, it literally proved it. And the, the early church fathers believed the reason they wanted martyrdom wasn't so they got a special table of the kingdom. That wasn't it. They believed like the blood of Abel and the blood of Christ, it's fertilizer to the soil of the earth. Their actual martyr's blood was fertilizer to the soil. And it is proven every time a big wave of persecution goes through, the gospel explodes. Yeah, we're seeing does. that right now. I mean, in some of the locations we can't mention, but yeah, we're yep. seeing that right now, which is And exciting. so I think you are living proof. So why do we do missions? I love Jesus and you guys love Jesus and therefore we love people and we want people to love Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not, I don't see Paul walking into Athens. Do you, I mean, do you know that hell's not mentioned once in the book of Acts? Hmm. I knew that because I listened to your series on hell. So. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you hear that great wisdom? Emily? Um, What's so, your source? Again, if this was such a huge deal to them, why wouldn't you walk into Athens and be like, look, that unknown God, it's worthless. And if you don't follow the true God, he's going to burn you for all eternity. He didn't do that. Mm -hmm. So up to this point, I do think, though there's a ton of information that we could cover on this topic, obviously, that we don't have the time to get to, we've probably emphasized a little bit more some of the differences between these different views and even our own personal journeys, um, you know, from 
holding a particular view, moving towards or into a different view. But Scott, in particular, I'd be curious to hear from you again, because you, you preached a, ser- a sermon series on this. And, and so you had to take this from a, you know, book heavy, theological, philosophical, and distill it down into a context in which people in your congregation could not only receive it, but wrestle with it implications in their own lives of, of different elements of this. So while we've highlighted some of the differences, could you focus for a few minutes on what are some of the common generalities or similarities between these three views? Even if there's nuance in terms and things of that nature, like what are one or two or three things that when you step back, they actually all hold in common together? Well, I think, and that's where just to um, not reiterate, but clarify, like when I, when I talked about like, there is no hell, what I just mean, like in the last 800 years sense of hell, <laughs> like Dante's Inferno, um, medieval art. And there, there was a huge shift when there was a church split with the Catholic church, um, and then the reformers from 700 years before that. And so what I'm saying is like the terms Gehenna, uh, Gehenna is the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. And when um, Israel was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, they were thrown into Gehenna. And I, I think in Mark and in Matthew, when he's talking about, you know, run to the run, and, run off uh, the rooftops into the, the hills and all kinds of stuff, he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And then the worm dieth not and all that stuff. But there's also a spiritual message behind that too. So I'm not saying just because it was a garbage dump that, that Jesus spoke in spiritual terms. So mm-hmm. I do think the realities of Gehenna um, do equate into the afterlife as well. So I, I will meet the infernalists uh, there, and I think that's a common um, theme there. There's fire for sure. I mean, there's fire in all of them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the misconception about universalism is they think it's, it's easy. And whenever people say like, Oh, it's just easy believism. I look at Jesus and I was like, does that look easy to you? Mm -hmm. Like, did it look easy to save mankind on the cross? I mean, it's just, it's such a, an odd view of what easy was. It was easy for us in the sense we believe, but then we walk through hell's fire our entire life Mm -hmm. as we're refined. I mean, so there's no easy about this. So just because universalism has the hope that everyone will enter, it doesn't mean there's not fire. It doesn't mean there's not nat weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm-hmm. We take all those seriously as well. So I think that's the commonality mm-hmm. is when you stand before God um, and he displays what your life was about to your deepest heart's contentions or in, excuse me, intentions. And I even believe the ripple effects of what your decisions were f- towards for humanity, like people in your life that were hurt, you bet there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm-hmm. You bet. But then it says, but he will wipe away every tear. And we never connect that to it. Um, <laughs> and every means every. And that does mean we're crying. We're, cry- we're crying at our judgment. I mean, take it as you will. So it's not like we sit here and say that like, oh my gosh, it's just going to be cake. You know, you can do whatever you want. That is not, that's not what universalism is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do see the commonality with the fire. It's just the difference is, is, is he, is it a refiner's fire or is it torture? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a big difference. Do you believe in a God of torture or do you believe in a God of refinement? And 
The verses that line up with refinement compared to torture, it's not even close. He's a refiner's fire. It's just, it's what it is. But um, how that plays out, I don't know. So the commonality is everyone goes to a place. Mm. <laughs> everyone goes to a place. Um, the problem, here's where the real difference started. Um, and as I was talking to you earlier, I hate to pick on the reformers, but they did do a ton of damage with this. They just did. And um, I'll just give you an example. So if I could introduce everybody to a book, one of the best books I've written, uh, read on this is Christ, the Conqueror of Hell, The Descent into Hades from an Orthodox Perspective. Mm. It was common knowledge that Jesus went to Hades for three days. I mean, it was in the early church. Mm -hmm. And then the reformers came along and they said it was symbolic. And so this book walks through the earliest manuscripts of, um, that have been found about what Christ was doing on those three days. So like that, that's part of the gospel that he dissented and defeated Hades and it wasn't symbolic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was, he literally did that. Now they debated whether his body went or just his spirit. This book's great because he goes through some early church father, Augustine believed he just went for the old Testament righteous and the righteous ones, not everybody. But the earliest manuscripts found in some of the early or the oldest monasteries in the world say he took everybody out. He took everybody. That was that was the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so I'll just read one quick thing and then I'll compare it to a reformer. So this is one of the earliest manuscripts ever written about the descent into Hades. And it says, you rose from the dead and raised with you those in hell. Blessed are you, the God of our fathers. By your death, O Christ, you destroyed the power of death and raised up those who were dead from every age. Victorious over hell, O Christ, you ascended, to, ascended the cross that you might raise up with yourself those who sat in the darkness of death. When you descended into hell, you raised with you the whole man lying in dust. I mean, these are the earliest writings of what he did in, in Hades. And so... We can, uh, that it's hard to agree on some of these when, when there's certain denominations who don't even believe he went to Hades. That's tough to even argue with. Like, there's no starting point. What he did there, I'll admit, there's speculation. Mm -hmm. There's different sides to that. I can totally admit that. Now, I believe in Christ as victor. So he either did, he either finished the job for all humanity or he didn't, you know? Like, and what's amazing, again, I've said this before, is they will, they'll take that as symbolic. But then they'll read Revelation and take those things literal. And you're just like, how do you, I mean, how do you even discuss some of those things and try to find the commonality? So I guess the biggest commonality is Jesus died for the sins of the world. <laughs> Here's the issue. The reformers don't even believe that. <laughs> they believe he died for the elect and there was pre-doubled predestination. And it's just a complete shredding of the cross. So you, the, the passage I just read to you, which is the earliest manuscript, then you have a guy like Paul Washer, who is a reformer, whose buddies with MacArthur and all those guys. Here is an exact quote from him, and he's smiling in the picture, which is really <laughs> odd. He says, the mm -hmm. moment when you take your first step through the gates of hell, the only thing you will hear is all of creation standing to mm -hmm. its feet and applauding and praising God because God has rid the earth of you. That's how not good you are. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, that is, for people who say sola scriptura and that they take the Bible literal, the Bible I read says God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so it's just, it's a really, I'm just being honest, man. It's a tough conversation to have with certain groups of people. 
And so mm -hmm. I think, yes, I, it's just the commonalities, there are some, especially annihilationism and universalism, you know, it's like there is this refiner's time and, but it's really hard to get those commonalities with eternal conscious torment people. It just is. But again, you just have to view what fire is and all kinds of things. And it's so, yeah, the commonality is Jesus Christ is savior. But even that you break off because they don't believe he was savior of all. And it's just a, a but the earliest manuscripts, he definitely, they believe, descended into Hades and destroyed death and hell. I mean, and so now there's just this afterlife place where everyone awaits their judgment. So shifting gears a little bit, or maybe just even saying coming off of that focus on, on some of the broad, very broad sweeping commonalities, what are some of the implications to, to the everyday? And I would, I'm going to make an assumption here by saying that probably the average listener of this podcast, myself included, is been more familiar or at least more frequently surrounded by the view yeah, of yeah. eternal conscious torment. And so maybe the implications when we think about hell, um, we more naturally are familiar with the implications coming out of that view. So that assumption being made, putting on the hat of the annihilationist view or the hopeful universalist. So through those two lenses, primarily, what are the implications? Like what are sort of, a, I don't mean this in a, to sound, um, you know, in, mean spirited, but like who, who cares? Like what, what are the implications both personally, individually, but then here we are, you know, I, we like to bring it back to this, this framing of here we are a, uh, a podcast that is hosted by an internationally focused ministry doing what we call mission work. Um, what are the implications for that? for us as an organization. So what do you guys think? <laughs> well, I think, um, Scott, you brought this up earlier. Uh, does anybody really, when it comes down to it, believe, actually believe in eternal conscious torment? Because if you did, you know, how could you be doing anything else with your life other than trying to evangelize people? If you really believed, you know, mm -hmm. there are going to be souls being tortured forever, like the crazy street preacher at college campuses would be the only sane person he believes the it the most. Yeah, he believes yeah. it the most. I firmly believe that most people don't actually believe it. They just believe they have a belief. And I used that example last podcast. Like you'll ask someone, well, when was the last time you shared the gospel? Mm -hmm. And they can't tell you and they usually get mad and all that. So your belief means nothing unless it's actually doing something. D.L. Moody actually believed it. And that guy would go out and preach every night to the street corners. However, he then did a study on the word eternal. <laughs> and D.L. Moody warned his students that this word eternal is different than we think it is. So even he started seeing this, all right? So, and I even think, you know, Paul Young gave me a great example where there was a tr that true story with a lady in Florida, right? She, ha she killed her three kids before they reached the age of accountability. Mm -hmm. She killed them because she didn't want them to ever have the chance to go to hell. And we mm -hmm. mock her for that. And Paul Young said to me, she actually believed it. Mm -hmm. She actually believed it. And so we throw out these terms and we throw out this divisive stuff that never really has real implications in our individual life. It doesn't, I said this last podcast, I truly believe that people who believe in eternal hell, they really do want people to go to heaven. I'm not putting them down. Mm -hmm. There's people who have dedicated their entire life to this because they want people to go to heaven. And I think that's admirable, but I also think that's milk. That's, that's just, we've been trained in the milk. 
just get them to heaven. And Jesus is redeeming this planet. He just is. And so I believe we go through hell every day. And this has major implications. Like if you, um, if, if, you know, if I tell my kids to just go do certain things and they do it because they're afraid I'm going to beat them, what kind of real relationship can you ever actually have? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly. So the fear of the Lord, I get that. But you know, that's, that's a reverence. It's like, mm-hmm. I have a, you, don't, you shouldn't fear man over God. You shouldn't. But I don't think what he meant by that was because I'm the one who will really mess you up, you know? So I think some of that strong language was needed the same way we talk to our children. Like, mm-hmm. don't touch the oven or else you're going to burn your hand. And when they do, mm-hmm. we react harshly because I'm mad they got burned, not because they disobeyed me. Which is you know? still motivated out of love. It is. And so that's yeah. the fire of God. God is love. Everything he does comes out of love. It mm-hmm. just That's just who he is. So yes, he has justice, but he is love. So his justice comes out of love. So everyday implications is if, if I'm constantly doing something out of fear, it's a... It's, it never equals true love relationship. And so that's why I think you start with Hades and hell has been defeated. You are his, and that is the best motivator rather than this constant. I mean, I lived years as a preacher that I was worried if I preached something false, I was a heretic and I was going to go to hell, even though my heart never thought that once. Like, how can I deceive somebody? You know, it's never thought that. Yeah. So in your everyday implications for yourself, I think it equals an absolute freedom. Just the hope mm-hmm. of this is an absolute freedom because then like you're constantly trusting people to God. You're constantly trusting them to God and you just act in the moment when the spirit tells you to talk to them about God's love. I mean, they just, they just do. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's where, again, the reformers I struggle with because there's always, I read that Paul Washer quote and even the reformers will say, well, that's harsh, but they believe it. They just don't want to say it. And I'm like, what would you, what would you rather, would you rather just be able to say what you believe? <laughs> like, and so, yes, I think it has totally personally, it has freed me. And I have not once heard one person say to me, now that you're talking about universalism and annihilationism, I'm just going to go sin and do whatever I want because I'm going to get it anyways. I have never heard that. Not once. It's the opposite. It's the complete opposite. Because I truly am in love with Jesus Christ and I know what he did, and not only me, but my sin affects other people that he died for and who are also saved, it makes me not want to do things that are bad. It doesn't make me want to hurt people. It just, it, it takes away your power, like like you want to gain something in this world. And, you know, it just, it totally strips you when you see how big God is and what his salvation actually was. Mm-hmm. Like, you can go look at the people in Myanmar who are abusing people a lot different when you actually believe Christ isn't there to punish them. Christ is there to save them. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it has major implications in how you view your children, everything. It's, it changes your view of God. It makes mm-hmm. it more loving. Yeah. One thing that I think has changed for me whenever I started thinking more or just thinking differently about stuff like this is looking at like the parables that Jesus uh, taught that, were taught to me as parables about hell and heaven and about judgment and then really looking at them and thinking really they're just about the importance of life right now as it is yeah the um the the parable of the goats and the sheep where you know at the end of of time i guess and there's judgment and god is separating the goats from the sheep and the goats go to hell basically and the sheep don't 
that always super scared me <laughs> as a kid um, or just like a young person in general, because like I've always been a Christian or believer. And so this idea that like, well, you could think you're saved, but you're mm -hmm. actually not like that was scary Terrible. to me. Yeah. And then looking at it again, thinking, well, it's really not about, you know, punishing people, catching them off guard, um, like tricking people into thinking they're safe. And then actually you're not, it's really, putting more emphasis on loving people right now as you can, mm. as opposed to just trying to check off the boxes to make sure, you know, I'm going to heaven when I die. You know, then Middle East, the goats and the sheep look exactly alike. Mm -hmm. They look identical. Goats were just jerks. They were headbutting, <laughs> they were selfish, and they're hard to train. Goats were hard to train, sheep were easy. And so, meaning, they, I mean, not easy, but they, they came back easier. But, you know, goats eat trash. They mm -hmm. are always headbutting each other for power, but they looked identical. So I think the major point with that was like, I'm going to separate the fake ones from the real ones. And I don't think that was a, a one-time thing. We see it in the church all the time. Like we see it now in the church. Some of the ones that look like sheep are actually goats and they're mm -hmm. doing everything for selfish gain. And, you know, we, we've talked about this, but... So even that passage, there's so much nuance to that. And I said it last podcast, the word eternal is in the next age. And the word judgment is cholesis. Anyone can look this up in their lexicon. It is a tree pruning term. That means to cut off the bad so the new can grow. So even the goats are being redeemed, but they're just stupid. They're super stubborn. <laughs> so, and I'm a goat sometimes. And so that's what I mean. Even in the next age, I don't know how this plays out. People could, people could deny the love of God for a long time. They literally could. But who knows? My point is, does God give up? Does he just say, well, I've done all I can. I just, <laughs> I just don't see Jesus doing that. But that's my personal opinion on that. Yeah. I think one of the implications um, for me personally that's been affirmed in this conversation, and it does certainly spill over into us organizationally at Uncharted, um, and I'm sure you guys at Zootown, you know, one of the motivations for being a local church, but thinking about, like we were talking about this recently at one of our staff meetings, the, the scene in Luke uh, 10, where Jesus sends out his, the 72 followers. And I, I'd never really paid attention to the fact that he sends them out, but then right away it says, these are the cities I'm coming to also. Mm -hmm. And I just love the, the imagery of, he's like, look, I, I have a role I want you to play. Like I, I want you to go and, and talk about my king, my kingdom is here and repentance and the, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to bring healing. Like he, there was so much emphasis. I want you to bring healing, you know, physically, yeah. uh, spiritually, emotionally. I want you to come into these places and make them better places. But ultimately it points to like, Jesus is the one who shows up. Jesus is the one who, who brings, you know, salvation and ultimate restoration. And I think sometimes there is that, that motivation for Christian living, that motivation for mission, missional living of like, okay, we gotta, we gotta rescue people from hell. And even, even in the gospels, when Jesus sent out his followers, it wasn't, I don't, see him viewing it as a rescue mission, but it was more like, go give them a taste of, of what's coming right behind you guys. Like yeah. go give them a taste of what my kingdom is like when it shows up 
in their lives today, what it shows up in their families. Go give them a taste of what of what healing and restoration. Um, go go give them that sampling of it, and I'm right behind you. Yeah, to bring that's it a in, good point. you know, holy and with full restoration, and and in a sense, ultimately. And so, to me, a lot of this conversation helps reframe like. This isn't a rescue mission in this, in that sense of, we just got to, we got to get people out of, out of hell as, as fast yeah. as we can type of thing. But it's more like, no, how do we give, how do we give them a taste of the kingdom that is already here and is also coming? And Paul said that, right? Right. He said, uh, water, you know, God makes it grow, you know, some, some right. throw out seeds, some throw out the water. And I, one thing I love about that, I just read that in Mark actually. That's a really funny passage because they're all, remember when they come back and they're all pumped up? Yeah. And they're all like, yo, the demons were listening yeah. to us. And it's like he almost rebukes them, but he doesn't. Because, you know, sometimes I think we read the Bible like a text message. You read in your emotion into that text message when, <laughs> right? When, or an email and someone's like, whoa, I didn't even mean it like that, you know? Uh-huh. You didn't have enough exclamation marks in that one. Yeah. Yeah. No, but what does Jesus say? Well, just be happy your names are written in the book of life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he exactly. kind of like almost toned him down a peg or two. Yeah. He's like, that's like, great, but... Yeah, you know what? I, I'm I'm yeah. glad you're partying with me, but there's others out there as well. But then right after that, he says, Father, thank you for yep. giving these deep spiritual truths to the babies instead of yep. the wise who think all this. And so I think that's where I... Even with, with universalism and all this stuff, what makes the most sense as a child... If you could explain the gospel, what as a, from a child's point of view, what makes the most sense? Jesus loves them. Jesus saved us. I mean, <laughs> I know that sounds super simple, but right after that passage, he's like, thank you, Lord. So like you said, we can get our PhDs and theology is my jam. And, and I get lost in theology sometimes and I'm missing the guy at the gym. I mean, I do the same thing, but we can get so deep into these details and philosophizing about this stuff. We miss the main message. And like you just said, like, I can't even tell you, Ben, how many times and Emily, how many times someone said to me, well, if everyone gets into heaven, then what am I doing this for? Mm. They expose themselves there. They expose what they're really doing. Like, because we've been taught you're going to get a crown in heaven. You're going to get, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, bro, I want to, I want to stop doing these things now because sin is killing me. It's killing my life right now. And I want to be generous now, not so I get some reward, but generosity helps people and it helps humanity move forward. And it makes me feel good. Right. It frees me from greed or yeah, yeah so that in yeah. like you you know that's a great an individual way i mean i i don't even believe god punishes sin i believe he disciplines those he loves mm-hmm. and he loves and we learn in john 3:16 for god so loved the world so he's actually disciplining everybody cuz he disciplines those he loves and he loves the world but sin punishes itself sin is i mean yeah, that's sure. romans 1 it's like the wrath of god is him turning us over to what we want that's right. And Paul talked about, like, yeah, let them go. It's that their flesh is devoured, that their soul is saved. I mean, so that whole view of, like, I'm just going to grind it out in this life because I got this reward waiting, I'm like, I don't know, man. That's, I don't think that's how it's going to go down. (laughs) (laughs) And if that's our motivation, 
to go save my neighbor so I can get an extra spot at the table in heaven. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's karma, that's religion, mm -hmm. that's all these things. That's not, has nothing to do with grace. So individually, it just helps you, I, I said it last time, it helps you love people. It just helps mm -hmm. you love people for people. They're not your projects. Yep. God's not ashamed of you if you if you don't present the gospel perfectly. I mean, it just totally frees you up. Yeah, I think it can be hard um, because, you know, taking away this idea or this motivation, really, that like I'm going out there to save souls from hell, um, it can almost remove the sense of urgency of like, oh, well, you know, Jesus is going to take care of them. So like, it's great if I can go to Myanmar and help people. But ultimately, it's not really my responsibility. Um, but it's really more revealing of motivations. Like, um, absolutely. It's yeah, it's way less sexy to like, you can't you're not going to go save people's souls. Ultimately, that's not you. And so if that is, if it's not worth it to you anymore, then that's not really it's more reflection on your belief about the value of people and not theology. And I would interject and say not only a reflection of your view on people, but also a, a reflection on a very stunted view of the gospel. And like if my main motivation, even if, even if I believe in eternal conscious torment and my main motivation to go to any country, to any quote unquote unreached people is just to get them out of view. Uh, sorry, get them out of hell. That's a very stunted view of the gospel mm -hmm. because that's, that's not the whole message of the gospel. The, the whole message of the gospel is the here and now just as much as the there and then. And Absolutely. It, it is like, so if my main motivation is to just get people out of hell does that mean we don't care about things like help, like what, like injustice, you know, mm -hmm. that, that only, it's only when, when God returns and all those bad people are thrown into hell that that's the only justice I care about. No, absolutely not. Like that's, that's what motivates us to come alongside men and women who are in places like Myanmar and Central Asia and so on and so forth, who out of their convict, their kingdom convictions are doing things right now that are addressing addressing injustices, addressing um, felt human needs, because those are those are true expressions of kingdom living. Yeah, and, and and we don't wait. You know, we don't wait until <laughs> some someday the by and by comes and all of that stuff is addressed. And so, to to me, like even for people who hold to the view of eternal conscious torment. If hell, if saving people from hell is the primary or certain the, certainly the only motivation for doing mission, then I would say that's a that's an incredibly stunted view of the gospel, yeah. regardless of what your view of hell specifically is. Well, to me, it's it's the uh, the missionary view is here too, in a sense that we we are going to go do something. This is what drives me nuts with <laughs> when we're going to go do something for this certain group of town or something, hoping they come to our church, right? Right. We're going to go do something so we can get the Instagram photo or whatever. And that, you know what I'm saying? And then hoping that, that, that because of this act of generosity, therefore we can present the gospel and then we can save them from hell. And I'm like, I just don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. I think he's, you know, when they're like, yeah, don't forget the widows and the orphans and the poor. Like they didn't say, 
just so they start coming to your church. Right. <laughs> they were like, and yep. so that's, that's why I believe, I do believe in Hades, the afterlife, but I believe hell is here, man. It's, it, it's here. And there's people who are living in hell in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. And so why, again, is if our motivation is to simply do something so the gospel can be presented, we're missing that the gospel was already presented when Uncharted went there and fed them and gave them food and gave them medical supplies and vaccines or whatever it is, right? Like mm-hmm. that is the gospel. And mm-hmm. that's what the sheep and the goats was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so we believe the gospel is simply just a message when really the gospel is just a kingdom way of living here that's and right. now, you know? Yep. So that's the gospel. That's why we go to Myanmar. That's why we support you guys. That's why we go to Belgrade is because like you said in Belgrade, or can I say that? I'm sorry, you can edit it out. Yeah. No, that's good. You said it's like a metropolitan town mm-hmm. that is dead. We want to show them that these blessings are great and human advancement is great, but you're dead in your soul. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. So that's all right. of this doesn't matter. And yep. so we're here to give people life. That's why we go share this overseas and stuff is because people need life. Exactly. And Jesus is life. He didn't say, I even give you life. He goes, I am the bread. I am the life. Mm-hmm. And so to, and to me, I just get excited even talking about it that way. You know, it, I love just like for you guys to go over and, and like, you've been. Okay. Well, that's the one you can't say. So okay. <laughs> you can, you can edit that out. We can, can bleep that, that out. out. <laughs> you've been to this part in the somewhere overseas. Central Asia. Central Asia where you're, I mean, you're just there to help people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean that's it, the it, gospel, man. It's holistic expressions of the gospel. You know, yeah. it's when when Jesus showed up, every part of the human life was transformed. That is the incarnation. Yep. Yeah. When I certainly my my understanding of other faith worldviews or just any worldview is is limited. But when I look at the places where we work internationally, in the majority worldview that's held by the people there. Um, I'm, I'm struck with a consistent theme of fear and hopelessness. Yes. Fear, fear and uncertainty, you know, like whether it's uncertainty about my eternal future or uncertainty about, is there even an eternal future? Uncertainty about like, will I, will I get to whatever place I, think exists and has my behavior has my behavior been enough to get me there yep and then and then just just hopelessness you know about what what do i have to live for today whether i'm living in a develop a village in a remote part of a developing country or in a booming urban metropolis where I'm surrounded by tens of thousands of my peers leaving every day to go find what they think is a better future in another part of the world. Yeah. You know, so just that feeling of, of hopelessness, like what am I living for today? And so when I think about uncharted and the, and the work that, that we're a part of and that we hope to, to expand and, you know, show up in other places, what excites me is the opportunity we have to introduce them to the person of Jesus Christ, who today in their life, in this moment, right now, it's like can just obliterate that fear, 
obliterate that sense of I have no purpose, I have no significance, I have no belonging, I have yeah. no love. Um, I love that. Like I, I love that. That's why we're in places like Myanmar and Belgrade and so on and so forth. So Scott and Emily, as we uh, we have about probably 10, 15 minutes or so left, um, I'll throw the question out to both of you. And Scott, maybe you can go first on an answer. What What's one thing, if, if you could just ask the listener to reflect on or take heart one one thing from this conversation, what what would you encourage them? And then Emily, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that too. I would have them reflect on uh, truly listening to the voice of Jesus to interpret certain things. Um, mm. There's that part where Jesus is in the desert. Uh, and he, he, what he was really doing is, again, he was, Israel went through the desert. It's actually symbolic for Israel, and it actually is our mm-hmm. life on this planet. I mean, all that's true. But in the evangelical world, remember when Satan throws out Scripture to him? Mm-hmm. And we've been taught that Jesus went to battle with Scripture? Well, that's odd, because Satan also was going to battle with Scripture. Mm-hmm. What Jesus was actually doing there is he was interpreting scripture and he was not going to allow Satan to take those scriptures out of context mm-hmm. and he wasn't going to allow Satan to use those scriptures as a weapon is what he was doing. So Jesus, that whole scene is him being like every word that comes from the mouth of God. It doesn't mean the Bible. It's, okay, it does mean the Bible, but Jesus is still speaking. <laughs> mm-hmm. So right. when, you, when you wrestle with these things, take it to Jesus in the Jesus that you know. Like, is the Jesus you know setting you free? Because Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Mm. And if you're not free, you're not in the truth. It's just mm. that simple. And so everything I've said in this podcast, whether no matter where you land, continue to take this stuff to Jesus. Because the early church fathers, and Paul said it, the Bible's spiritual. I mean, these spiritual things behind it matter. They really do. And so... Um, do not have a fear of being a hopeful universalist because mm-hmm. Paul said, love hopes all things. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that remains is love. So my hope, and it's more than a hope at this point, I, to me, it's the most logical conclusion, but annihilationism, as I said earlier, that makes sense to me too, in a lot of ways, but I, love hopes all things. Mm-hmm. I hope that this is true. I hope Jesus is that big. And that's what the cross was. And so just don't have a fear with it and don't make it a divisive thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Bring heaven here now. Don't wait for Mm -hmm. heaven later. Bring heaven here now. And that is preaching the good news. And the good news is Jesus Christ came as a man for all men, died for our sins, went to death in Hades and destroyed it and rose humanity on the third day. And also what Paul said is today is the day of salvation. (laughs) Not in the future. Today is the day of salvation. So believe the good news. Believe the good news. And finally, do your own work. Do your own homework on it. Like, don't just read a commentary Bible. Look at the Orthodox Perspective, that book I um, recommended. There's lots of other ones. And do your own work. So at least wherever you land, it was not out of fear. It wasn't out of judgment. It was, this is just where you're at. And that's where Jesus will meet you is right there. It's really good. Emily, what would you add to that? Um, there's, I feel like there's a 
like 10 different semi unrelated things. I like all want to try to combine into one great poignant final thing. And it's just not going to happen. Um, and I think I, Scott took a lot of what I was going to say too. So that doesn't Aww. help either. <laughs> we'll just, make Ben go last now. That's right. right. I have nothing. Yeah. 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 I think like the idea of not being afraid, um, of not not necessarily questioning what you've been taught but not being afraid to be or to find out that you've been wrong about some things mm -hmm. I think um can be really freeing and to understand that um you can work on your faith like mm -hmm. that that's in the bible somewhere like work out your faith with fear and trembling like take it seriously and mm -hmm. it's not always going to be like the easiest thing in the world to um to wrestle through. Like it's, it can be difficult. It's good. I think the way that I would express what, you know, what I hear both of you saying is to, to the listener who is maybe hearing some of what we're talking about, hearing some of the language, hearing some of the ideas put forth, hearing some of the statements made and you find yourself um, like getting tense or, or defensive or nervous about the conversation. Um, first of all, I would say I can relate. Yeah. Me um, too. yep. Especially like just a few years ago, this would have been a really hard conversation for me to embrace in a spirit of calmness, mm -hmm. in a spirit of openness uh, and in a spirit of trust, like trusting, trusting each other and, but really trusting that this is a conversation that's okay to have. Yeah. And so I would say, um, to the listener, like just the word calm <laughs> comes to mind, <laughs> like just have a calmness <laughs> as you, um, as you listen to conversations like this, whether it's about hell or about other uh, topics that typically have, you know, emotional triggers to them and, and allow yourself to, to ask like, why, why do we sometimes get on edge in conversations like, uh, like this? What, what in me is feeling threatened? Um, what about my theology is feeling attacked? What about my belief of God is feeling attacked? Um, because I had to go there. I had to go there in my, in my own faith journey. I had to admit my insecurities that I was feeling in conversations like this. I had to admit things that I held so deeply. I should say that I felt so deeply, but I didn't really know why when I actually went down that trail. And so um, don't be scared to go down trails like this and know that God can survive it. <laughs> like <laughs> God, God and the beauty of who Jesus is and the cross and the power of the spirit and the joy of our salvation and all of that, like it can, it can survive conversations like this. And that actually what ends up happening is, uh, at least in my own personal experience, I I've come to find a, a, a renewed enjoyment and richness in, in my faith through conversations like this. Um, so that, that would be my word to the listener is just like, just take a second and breathe. <laughs> just, <laughs> just calm, calm, you know, just a spirit of calmness 
and, uh, and just ask, like, if I'm feeling twinges of, of discomfort, of anxiety, hearing some of the things that have been said in these, in these conversations, um, don't ignore that and just, just ask why and allow God to speak in those places. Yeah. And yes, your theology does not save you. Your belief in hell doesn't save you or damn you. It's a response to Jesus Christ. That is what saves you. So yeah. these conversations are important and, but they're not, they're not detrimental to your salvation because Jesus is the cornerstone. He never said yeah. your theology is or whatever, or dispensationalism or whatever. He just said, I am the cornerstone. So if it, no matter where you land, if Jesus remains your cornerstone, you're good. You're good. Thanks for listening to this episode, and thanks to Scott for being willing to have this conversation with us. As always, any resources we mentioned and other additional resources that Scott provided will be in the episode notes. Let us know what you thought about this episode and this topic. We're really excited about going into the rest of the year and the conversations we'll be having with friends, partners, and each other. If there are topics you'd like to hear us talk about that are related to international missions or living a brave faith, let us know. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.